has all the knowledge you want. Malik books has all the knowledge you need. Malik books. Yeah, they have all the books that the whole wide world wanna read. Malik books. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Malik Bookshelf, bringing a world together with books, culture, and community. Hi, my name is Malik, your host of Malik's Bookshelf. Community, community, community. I was blessed to go to the premiere of the Pan-African Film Festival, which is an event that's hosted every year at the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Plaza. And they feature a lot of independent films from America and the, and the African diaspora. And it's, this is the 31st, 31st anniversary. So that's a milestone. And they've been doing this for 31 years. And it's basically, you know, accentuating the art of film where we feature black, you know, directors and actors as well as um, art, an art show. So then they bring artists from around the country in different parts of the world. And they come and they display their art throughout the mall, Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall. And they, as well as they show these short films, feature films. And so I went to the opening. It was magnificent. It was beautiful because they premiered this movie. And I, and listen, I'm in a bookstore and I come across a lot of books. But the more I know, the more I don't know. And sometimes, you know, I learn about different people in different parts of history, you know, by being present in the community. And so they premiered this movie. It was magnificent. It was called Chevalier. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I believe it's called Chevalier. It's a French word and it means night. This name was bestowed upon Joseph Ballone, who was a black composer, violinist that was exceptional, gifted, and he was the main composer and violinist in Paris, France, years ago, in the late 1700s. And he was brought to France from America. His father was a white slave plantation owner whom raped a black woman, had a child who had a gift, who could play the violin, and he felt it was a waste of time to waste his time in him being a slave. So he brought him to France and showed his gift as a little kid, probably around 10, year, 10 years old. And <laughs> he went to school in France, um, and it, he went through a lot of ra racism, discrimination, because France was still... You know, they many of them believed in slavery and many blacks in France at that time were slaves. But this guy, he went to school. He um, was in a highly influential school. He had a gift and he was hated on. But, you know, like Jackie Robinson, perseverance, resilience. Um, you're able to go through whatever the noise is, the oppression is. And still he thought, you know, his father told him one thing. Excellence, you know, changed people's minds. So we know all about that in America. Well, Joseph Ballone became a great swordsman. He became a great violinist, a great composer. So Queen of France at that time 
recognized his gift and bestowed the name Shavai on Joseph Ballone. And that helped him to walk into many doors and give him the prestige and the excellence that he earned through his hard work. And he wanted to become the head composer for the House of Opera in France. And in his ambition, there lies the racism and the continued racism, I should say, and oppression now coming from the Queen Marie Antoinette, whom he and her had been friends, but it was more so of a relationship that was one dimensional. And when Queen was faced with recognizing him as the new composer, she denounced him. And that put him in a position where he finally realized that he's just a tool for them to use as his mother had already told him whom he was, she was, he was ripped away from her as a 10 year old who as a slave and he was brought to France. And then his mother was sent to France upon the death of his father. He didn't leave him anything because he was a bastard, as they say, right? A mulatto, as they say, right? So he didn't leave him anything, but he did one thing. Guess what? I guess he did two things. He took him to France so he can, uh, I guess, explore his gift and make him excellent instead of wasting it as being a cotton picker. And the other thing is when he died, his father, Joseph Blown's father died, he sent his, his mom to France to be with him. So they were united after many years. And so uh, they were able to create a bond and a relationship. But his mother said three things that really start, stuck out to me in the movie. Okay. Now we know sometimes in movies, there is, you know, is some fictitious things that's put in. I mean, after all, we're not living during that time, but it is a good depiction of the racism, the discrimination, the oppression that black people suffer in Europe and France, as well as how a, a, a former slave, Joseph Boulogne, became a freed man, an elevated man, and a well-respected man, and a man who helped create a movement through his music in France to help deliver nation and rights to the citizens of France and give liberty to people in France. And he helped use his music to bring about the virtual transformation of the monarchy in France back. Uh, and this all happened before Napoleon uh, Bonaparte. So, but three things that I got to mention that the mother of Joseph Boulogne, Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier, said that to me stood out in that movie and that was he she told her son you're nothing you're nothing but a tool a puppet and you need to you know see it for what it is that was i think very very um electric to hear her say that and he had to see it for himself over you know he had to find himself again he had to find his culture again and that's one of the things what he's known for as a composer, as a conductor, is that he wove in from Senegal, where they were from, I believe, 
he wove in the African culture and music inside of, you know, the, the um, French art and French um, orchestra. And so he's known today for his, his genius of woven in his culture and his legacy and his African descent. It's all woven into his genius and his music. And now we have a movie called Shavaia. And let me tell you something. The other two things that the mother pointed out that was absolutely to me on the money. And that was, she said, the greatest crime wasn't the physical slavery. The greatest was the mental slavery, enslavement that the white man did. And she said that to her son. She says the mental slave. She said because you always have a choice. That's the third thing. You know, the damage that was done to black people is not the physical part. That's physical slavery all over the world. But you know what? It's the torture, the mental torture, the spiritual torture. When you rob a people of the name, of their ancestors, their connection, their roots, you know, the history, their religions, their, their, their culture, their traditions. You know, I always said the name and you couldn't read, you couldn't write. This is all mental talk. This is far beyond physical slave, slavery. And that was the, the greatest crime that was committed when you strip a mind of a, a, a human being of their right of liberty, freedom, and justice physically, but to do that mentally also, to do that mentally, that's damaging. And that's why it's a lot of trauma and issues, you know, postpartum slavery syndrome, we call it, still exists because of what was done to the mind. And the mother pointed that out in the movie. Excellent point. And the ex other excellent point was the fact that she say, you know, when they took her son, she said every day she would get up and run off that plantation to find her son, to be with her son. And they would capture her back. But she said, I didn't care if I lost my life. You know why? Because you always got a choice. You always got a choice. Even if it meant death. Even if it meant death. And when people say, oh, in slavery, we didn't have a choice. That's a lie. You always got a choice. You chose not to run off and free yourself for whatever reason. Fear. Your wife. Well, you couldn't really marry, so it was in secret. Or your children. Whatever the reason is. If you stay and get tortured. Raped. Oppressed discriminated against, enslaved. And then you say, oh, and you look at the earth and all this land and all this space and all this, like, man, what's stopping you from running off <laughs> and trying to free yourself? This woman said, man, I tried every day to find my son, to be with my son. And even if it meant death, she said, you always got a choice. You always got a choice. You might not like the choice because it might mean death. It might mean imprisonment. It might mean for liberty, for freedom, for justice. 
Shavai became a revolutionary with his music to help liberation and to help the people of France who were starving. He chose to use his music and put his life on the line and threatened by the generals and the queen and stripped of his title because he didn't play along no more. He realized he was nothing but a puppet to use by them. He began to use his music to free people, to help the cause of liberation, to help free men get rights. Free women get rights. We witnessed that in America. We witnessed that during, you know, all the different movements that have taken place in America where people are willing to sacrifice their freedoms, their limited freedom, because we don't we didn't have really no freedom. <laughs> limited freedom in order to gain more access, more resources, more education more opportunity, more of everything, you had to put your life on the line, you had to put your wealth on the line, and you had to make some sacrifices. Just like in America. Well, the movie was inspired because Joseph Ballone, the night the Shevai had the same struggle as many of our Ancestors in America, our activists, our revolutionaries in America, and people who are making a stand today to get access to wealth, to good homes, to opportunities, education, resources. So, you know, it was just a fabulous movie. I enjoyed it. I think that it's a movie for everybody, but it was, you know, it was definitely a character I did not know anything about. So, hey, when the movie come out, it was directed by a young man in France. I mean, I'm sorry, a young man from Canada, young black director from Canada. So it's just a, a, a an acknowledgement of today of another great unsung hero that many of us were not aware of that made a sacrifice of black excellence. In the seven, uh, late 1700s, and his name is Shavai Joseph Ballone. We in town to talk about the fame game. That's right. You didn't manage superstars. You didn't manage, you know, A-listers, Michael Jackson, the Beatles, Bad Midler. Who else you say now? <laughs> oh, Paul McCartney, I did his piano. Wow. And here now you got your book, and it's called The Fame Game. Yeah, The Fame Game. <laughs> An insider's playbook for earning your 15 minutes. Wow. Wow. And in two minutes, tell me about it. Well, it's really a hybrid. It's a, I, I like to think of it as three uh, linear stories. One is on uh, the systemic racism that's existed in our system in terms okay. of the music industry. Yes. Since, you know, when I started in business, which was uh, in the early 70s, you know, not too, like, when you think about it, the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Mm -hmm. So there weren't a lot of people of my color that were in the record industry mm -hmm. at that time. So I talk about the, that and how that has influenced and, you know, our growth as a culture through the entertainment industry, 
and also uh, the fact that if there's a double standard for mm -hmm. how black stars, how black artists become stars as compared to white artists. Mm -hmm. So I talk about that and I talk about my story uh, of evolving and trying to work at you know big corporations. I worked at Motown, I worked at a big company called, an almost all white company called Rogers and Cowan. I was the only black there. Um, I was, became their very first black vice president. And I talk about that and just my growth in the, okay. in the business and how I was able to navigate and uh, build my own brand so that I could go out and be an entrepreneur. And so now we have the fame game. Bingo. Yeah. And then I have some tenants of fame at the very end. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I use, uh, I don't believe that fame is a uh, destination. I think it's an accolade and it's something that uh, is a byproduct of being successful. So I always say, you know, don't obsess about, uh, don't obsess about fame, obsess about being the best. Mm -hmm. And that fame and success don't come with a warranty. So okay. every person I ever worked with who was famous, they, they were all anonymous at one time. Yes, And yes. their path to fame is, is all different. All different. There's, yeah, you have to, there isn't one path that you can mm -hmm. say, okay, if you follow this guideline yeah. or template, you can yeah. become famous. Because if there was, that's what I would be selling. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, if I could give someone a the vitamin and, uh -huh. a, and a meal plan and an exercise plan, say, do this for three weeks, and in three weeks you're going to wake up, one morning you're going to be famous. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, exist yeah. that way. So exist in the book, I, I try to give the, you know, the hard work that went into all of these people that I worked with who worked their asses off to really become successful. We never talked about being famous. We just yeah. talked about being successful and how do we marry their art form with uh, commercial viability. Okay. Because yeah. that's really what it comes yeah. down to. If you create great art, meaning music, film, TV, mm -hmm. and you're able to commercially exploit it, it provides an opportunity to be successful yeah. that gives you currency yeah. which becomes a tool which leads to becoming fame and you can leverage fame in your business but fame to me is really it's an emotional it's like happiness it doesn't last mm -hmm. forever when everyone i've worked with failed and they're not you know they went through phases where they weren't as famous as they once were True, so you indeed. have to understand that and you have to realize that you know it, yeah. it's fleeting yeah. it's not something that you're going to always be able to have yeah. so you have to understand that emotional imbalance that it causes yeah. Yeah. and how do you deal with that when you're mm -hmm. no longer relevant yeah yeah well i always say like success is just a moment of time yes that's but, right you know, it comes in moments it yeah. comes in it comes when you least expect it so that's another thing i say don't wait you know, because it may not never come when yeah, it may never arrive when you want it to come. So <laughs> the wave is up and down. <laughs> that's right. You don't know. So those are all things that are in the book. In the book. And I try to share the those fame stories. Game. Yeah, the fame game. Ramon Hervey the second. Yes. Thank you, my brother. Malik Books has a couple of events this week coming up for Black History Month. We're hosting these events at the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Plaza which is at 3650 Martin Luther King Boulevard. If you're in area, if you're in town, come on through because we have some electric events. First up on Monday, February 13th at 7 p.m., we're going to be hosting an event called Black Hollywood, Reimagining Iconic Movie Moments. Now, this book was written by a celebrity photographer, Corel Augustus. So what we're having is a panel discussion and a book signing right after the, the panel discussion. 
So Corel Augustus, what he's done, and it took him 12 years to make this book. Um, but it's a, a artistic, pictorial book moving you around the iconic Hollywood movie moments such as um, James Bond movies, Charlie Chaplin movies, Carrie, that old horror movie, Breakfast at Tiffany, anyway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he depicted, you know, it's a visual photography book that brings together the best of classic Hollywood with today's iconic black entertainers for an immersive experience unlike anything you've ever seen before. So, hey, act, a few of the actors are actually going to be at Malik Books. They're going to be part of the panel discussion, part of the book signing on February 13th, 7 p.m. at Malik Books in Bone Hills, Crenshaw Mall. Now, this book features a forward by Academy Award winning Forrest Whitaker and an afterwards by the beloved entertainer Niece Nash. Corel Augustus has created a who's who of today's black entertainers recreating iconic cinematic scenes, renewing readers' appreciation of the past while asking questions about representation in the media and inspiring the artists of the future. So come on out February 13th, 7 p.m., Black Hollywood panel discussion with Corel Augustus, celebrity photographer and around six, seven actors and actresses. I ain't going to get into their names, but come on out. Now, moving on, our next event for black history is Bet on Black, a book that was just written and released by Ebony K. Williams. This book, Bet on Black. Now, Ebony K. Williams is a journalist, is an attorney. You know her because she was on Bravo's Real Housewives of New York. She's been on The View many times. So she's a TV personality as well as an author now. And she has a podcast and she's a real thing. So Ebony is going to be discussing her new book, a book signing discussion this February 15th at 7 o'clock. Now, let me tell you something about the book. Bet on Black is an illuminating account of overcoming adversity and self-acceptance in America. Williams has written an inspiring and hopeful narrative of blackness, urging readers to put a stop to longing for the white experience and instead create their own path towards success and freedom. Ebony K. Williams knew that an important part of her mission as a media personality would be to unabashedly place blackness on a pedestal. Williams has long known that blackness is a rich, expansive place that centers resilience, excellence, beauty, and brilliance. But these notions of blackness have long been distorted by American racism, where for generations black folks have been expected to live a subordinate, second-class existence in a country they call home. No more, Williams says in his book, proclaiming that the good news about being black today is that our community has unprecedentedly access to an array of tools to honor our blackness however we see fit, whenever we see fit, and wherever we see fit. Bet on Black is thus a call to action for black people all over the world to adopt a fresh, highly informed mindset that will change lives. 
Williams delves into some of the cornerstones of leading a first-class black life, including don't let anyone make you their black sidekick. Carry your blackness proudly everywhere you go. Subvert stereotypes and do you. Disrupt oppression power structure. No need to co-switch. Show up as you beautifully are. And the black community is invincible when we get together. So, hey, come on out February 15th, 7 p.m. at the Baldwin, Millie Books at the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall. And come congregate us with us with the book signing and book discussion. Come out, bet on black, Ebony K. Women's. In the house, Black History Month, Malik Books, Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall, Pan-African Film Festival is going on, art all over the mall, movies, all of that. Come on out. Thanks for listening to Malik's Bookshelf, where topics on the shelf are books, culture, and community. Be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. Check out my Instagram at Malik Books. See you next time.